Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur. This is season seven, episode 10. This episode's going to come at you real hot. It's Bridget Eileen Rivera, and she's talking about heavy burdens, seven ways LGBTQ Christians experience harm in the church. So, uh, an important topic and a topic we probably um, avoid talking about because it's challenging or we don't want to get, um, you know, heated up about things with people who see things differently than us. But a topic I think you're going to really want to lean into and probably um, pay more attention to than most. So maybe you want to grab a pen and, you know, take some notes today. Thank you so much to our sponsors, of course. Compassion Canada is back. Amazing people who are doing amazing work in the world um, with the local church to serve kids who are living in extreme poverty and um, bringing them out of that in Jesus name. And of course, the Church Go is a website building company I really want you to hear about. I want you to know about them been talking about them for years. So it's so fun to have them on the podcast. Hey, find us on our YouTube channel. If you uh, want to see this interview, if you want to see all the other interviews we've done, we've got video versions of these interviews. Also, we've got a whole back catalog of tutorials now that are on the YouTube channel where you can check out uh, you know, how we're teaching and training people around all things church communications in the digital world. So would love for you to do that. Or of course, if you've got any questions, you want to interact with other people around the topics we love to talk about on this this podcast, uh, Digital Church is our Facebook group. You can find it at the link below in the show notes or just search Digital Church wherever um, you pull up your Facebook app. And uh, we would love for you to join us there because we're having like day-to-day conversations. Hey, even people are posting jobs if you're looking for a new job. So would love for you to find us there. But Bridget Eileen Rivera, this is who we're talking to today. She's a sociologist completing her PhD at the City University of New York. And uh, she's, <laughs> I love that she calls herself a homeschool graduate. I love that. And hey, but more than that, as she's doing like much further education now, she has been a leading voice on gay celibacy in the church. And she's helping Christians better grapple with understandings of gender and sexuality in a divided culture. So she has a particular position on sexuality herself, but also is friends with and articulates well that there's a number of different ways that people land on this issue. But she's working with faith-based organizations, all kinds of, you know, ones that you've probably heard of, and she's contributing to digital platforms on these issues. I love this. You can follow her on social media as Traveling Nun. So, all right, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Bridget Eileen Rivera on this important topic. Welcome to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. You're listening to Season 7. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Bridget, welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm really honored to have you on the podcast today. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. When, when I saw the, the topic and the subject of a book you're just releasing, I thought I need to talk to this woman and more actually not talk to you. I really want to hear from you and I want to give you an opportunity to share. And so I'll poke you with a few questions, but I hope uh, to 
to just hear from you. So, so the book that we're talking around or the subject is Heavy Burdens, Seven Ways LGBTQ Christians Experience Harm in the Church. So it's a huge topic, an important topic. So before we go any further, let's just introduce yourself. Maybe you can start just sharing some of your own story and we'll go, we'll go from there. Yeah, so my name is Bridget Eileen Rivera. Like you said, I have a book coming out called Heavy Burdens. And the book, I guess, it just it impacts the experiences of queer people in the church, um, specifically around discrimination and um, just how queer people have been treated. And um, I guess that book kind of started as a result of some of my own experiences in the church as a queer person, um, as well as the experiences of a lot of my friends. Um, I, uh, I guess I started coming out around 2013, um, when I was, uh, 23 years old. And, um, it was a shocking experience to me, the response that I got from Christians. I had been raised mm. in the conservative evangelical church my whole life, been very, very involved, um, had, you know, in many ways been the quote unquote model uh, Christian woman. And um, my faith had never been questioned. Um, my sexual purity never questioned once. And uh, when people started finding out that I was gay, um, it was just a whole different situation. All of a sudden, I was being called into accountability meetings, people asking about past sexual experiences that I may or may not have had, um, you know, whether how I was responding to sexual temptation. It was like all of a sudden, everything in my life was revolving around sex sexual sin, um, mm. and sexual temptation. It was like, this was the defining thing. Um, and it was, it was very uh, shocking. Um, you know, long lists of do's and don'ts, um, you know, being questioned for, you know, the most minute things in my life. Like, why do you sit next to your best friend in church? Um, like that huh. being, that being a suspicious thing. Um, and you know, well, I sit, I sit next to my best friend in church because I'm a single woman and I don't have anyone else to sit next to. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I guess it, I'm laughing because like, where, where did they want you to sit? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 So it was just, it was so shocking. It was so like mm. world paradigm shattering for me because I had never wow. been treated that way. Um, and I guess it just, it opened up a whole new world for me. And I started talking to friends, um, as I, you know, got more involved, um, in the queer Christian community, just learning shocking stories, um, of just, you know, really horrendous, abusive situations, um, of, you know, people being fired from, min from ministry, um, fired from, you know, jobs with Christian organizations, um, not because of even having sex or, or, or anything, you know, friends that were celibate, um, but just for being gay, um, just for it being found out that they were attracted to the same sex. It was just, it was really just shocking to me because my perspective of Christians had been at the time that um, this was a, a, a historical thing. 
um, Christian's attitudes. Uh, it was, you know, a thing of the past. And especially in my church, at least, people knew me, they knew who I was, they knew that I loved Jesus. And so if people found out this thing about me, um, it wouldn't be that big of a deal, um, especially mm -hmm. if I was celibate, um, I believed, because, you know, I'd be following the, you know, traditional sexual ethic. And so, you know, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Uh, but it was, it was huge to people. Um, and I, uh, I guess it, it just really altered my perspective of the church and how it actually functions. Um, and, um, the impact that a lot of assumptions people have, um, wind up having on, um, queer people who love Jesus and yet are, um, seen as these, you know, kind of sinful pariahs by so many. So that's kind of, you know, ultimately, I guess the, the start of me thinking about a lot of these things and, uh, putting together the ideas for this book, Heavy mm -hmm. Burdens, uh, and just really wanting to see this narrative change, really wanting to see queer people not treated in this way, really to see queer people, um, you know, seen in the church as just normal people like anyone else and not treated uh, so differently. And so I guess that was, yeah, that was the start of it for me. Yeah. Well, there's so many things to jump off of from what you've just said. Thanks for sharing, you know, this is like a, just a helpful intro into where you're coming from. But even just the idea that you're saying, uh, queer Christians or a queer Christian community, for some people listening, they wouldn't know that exists or that doesn't sound like those things can go together. Um, because for a lot of people, if you come out, you leave the church. That's sort of like like one plus one, e one, plus one equals exit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about that community. Like this is a community of people. I, I don't know. Where did you, where did you meet? Um, this, is it a community you found online or in your own neighborhood or, um, tell me a little bit about the community that you can, that you're hearing these stories from yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I am part of an online community of over 700 queer Christians um, who uh, love Jesus and um, are queer, um, span the range of the LGBTQ spectrum, um, and are um, actually committed to being celibate or um, mm. being married to the opposite sex and following the traditional um, teachings of the church when it comes to sexual ethics. That's really um, shocking to a lot of people because they don't, a lot of Christians don't think that queer people would ever follow the traditional teachings of scripture. It's kind of just under, like, it's just kind of assumed that if you are queer in any way, then you have rejected mm, <laughs> um, right. uh, traditional teaching. Um, and so that alone um, is often just, whoa, this exists. And yeah, it exists. And, you know, the online community that I'm a part of is in the hundreds. Um, and there's many, many others. And, um, you know, I'm a part of another that, you know, has over a hundred people in it. And, um, mm. you know, others that, you know, have, you know, similar numbers of people and, 
Um, and then, you know, on the other side, so, you know, that's kind of, that's one side of the queer Christian community. And then there's the other side that, you know, does affirm same-sex marriage that, you know, gets married to the same sex, that dates the same sex. And they also love Jesus and are committed to following him. And um, their faith is inspiring. Um, and, you know, I, I've been to some affirming churches that affirm same-sex marriage that are pastored by queer people. And um, it's, you know, so um, evident the, their faith and that the Holy Spirit is in those places. And that, again, is shocking to people because they think, wait a minute, you all, you affirm same-sex marriage, you're getting married, you're dating the same sex, and you love Jesus, and God is blessing you, and the Holy Spirit is, you know, present in your churches. That doesn't sound right. That can't be. Um, but it is. And if you have ever yeah. known a queer Christian who is married to the same sex and loves Jesus, um, I think you'll see it. It's kind of undeniable. Um, and so these things exist and, um, to, <laughs> yeah. to, yeah, to, you know, what you said, um, a lot of these communities form online first. A lot of these friendships build, um, in online spaces because, um, it's hard to find people that are like you immediately in churches, because uh, you, you know, you're surrounded by, you know, people who, for the most part, identify as straight, get married to the opposite sex, have a nuclear family, all of these things. And so people kind of find each other through online spaces and build a lot of those connections. Um, two of, um, or I should say several, several actually of, you know, some of my closest friends I met online through Twitter and Facebook. Mm. And I never would yeah. have known them otherwise. And now they've become, you know, some of my closest friends. And um, that's, that, you know, that speaks to the power of online communities, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I want to get there later in our conversation, too, because, of course, we're made digital. We love talking about all things digital and how that is affected <laughs> or is connected to our faith, our discipleship, our Christian communities, our evangelism, all those big words, but how digital stuff affects us in our faith life. And so I want to get there later, but before we get yeah. there, I mean, there's just so many other things, particularly because we're talking about these ways that LGBTQ Christians experience harm. I mean, for one thing, I'm, this, your story surprises me because you stayed. <laughs> um, you know, the story I know and probably most people know of, you know, um, a queer friend or a family member is if they were in the church when they came out, that also meant they left church. Mm -hmm. um, so you stayed. Or, or did you leave and then come back? I'd love to hear a little bit about that and why. Why did you stay? <laughs> Yeah, I, I stayed. I did not leave. Um, I loved Jesus. My faith was very strong and um, was not in any way under threat uh, when I came out as being mm -hmm. queer. Uh, in, in fact, it was really startling to me to actually see people question whether my faith was, you know, under threat. And I was like, why? Why would you think that? Uh, it was very strange. And, um, you know, for me, uh, when I came out, it wasn't, you know, declaring this raw, I am gay. 
it was actually, you know, people just figuring it out over time and just asking. And, you know, this, you know, kind of like this uh, cascading event that just kind of rippled out. And, you know, I couldn't necessarily control it. People just figured out over time. And, you know, I had to deal with it. Um, And so, uh, you know, other people, you know, eventually come out because, you know, there's just these building stresses and pressures keeping this secret um, for so long. And, you know, you reach a point where you just can't do it anymore. Uh, And you just you have to come out for your own mental health because Mm -hmm. the pressure that keeping this secret does to you is just so great Um, and really harmful over time. Um, But yeah, for me, I stayed. And um, I stayed because I love Jesus. And I think that's kind of the story for most queer people that I know is um, our faith is important to us. And um, most queer people I know would say that their faith is more important um, than anything else in their life, including their sexuality. And, you know, so they want to figure they have to um figure out a way to uh, you know follow Jesus um and make their sexuality work in light of uh their faith and that is you know essential that is crucial yeah. for them and yeah there are many who do um walk away from the faith and by and large, I think a lot of people see that. I think the assumption for many Christians is often, you know, this stereotype of just rejecting God, rebelling against him, wanting to embrace their sin and like live this sexually liberated lifestyle. I find I've found that to be um, overwhelmingly not the case um, for the vast majority of queer people that I know. Uh, the, the reason why so many uh walk away is because of how they've been treated. Mm, um, you right. know, I have, I have one friend who walked away for, you know, upwards of 20 years before coming back. And the reason why was because when they approached their pastor to talk to him about, you know, their experiences of same sex attraction, their experiences, their confusion over gender, um, their pastor, you know, they asked their pastor, you know, what do I do? And their pastor said, well, you can uh, walk out of this church building and never come back. And so that's what they did. (laughs) And so, you know, there's, there's often this assumption that, you know, queer people are leaving as the statement of rebellion. But I've found by and large that, in fact, um, the many queer people leave because they've been pushed out. Another queer friend of mine, when it was discovered that he was gay, um, you know, he did not come out willingly, but, you know, it was discovered. Um, He was, you know, dragged in front of the church and, you know, made to repent publicly um, in front of the entire church, made to say that he was living in sin, uh, you know, just for being gay and, Um, you know, that's traumatizing for people to get up in front of a church of, you know, you know, the, the entire congregation and say that you are sinful just for who you are. Um, that's traumatizing for people. And so, you know, it's not surprising when people leave the church over that because, you know, the church is supposed to represent Jesus. 
Um, and when that is what is being presented to queer people as being Jesus, you know, a lot of people decide that's not what they want. Pausing that conversation with Bridget to talk about an amazing opportunity we have with Compassion to do something new this year. New year, new you, and we've probably already fallen off the bandwagon of a lot of our resolutions and also just the start of the year for a lot of people has been really rough because uh, COVID, Omicron, all that. So whenever you're listening to this, though, there is an opportunity for us to do something, to advocate on behalf of children and families living in poverty, to not just sit in our own problems or stew on the news or scroll, you know, all the junk coming at us on social media. Um, There is some amazing stuff happening that Compassion is doing around the world as they partner with local churches to bring kids and their families out of spiritual, economic, social, physical poverty, and they're doing this in Jesus' name. So I want you to look at compassion.ca to get inspired. Maybe you're looking for a practical way to get involved, to get beyond yourself, and to do something for others. Go to compassion.ca. The the statistic that that you reference that I uh, I I hadn't it doesn't surprise me but it's sickening to think about this religious faith reduces the risk of suicide for virtually every American demographic having a faith is a good thing for every demographic except one LGBTQ people it it increases the risk of suicide mm-hmm. um, yeah so, so you know tell us a little bit about that it, it, I mean, you already are, but it's because it's what you're saying is because of if you come out or if it's a secret, it's a secret too hard to bear. If you come out, you're going to be removed from your church. Like what? Mm-hmm. What's happening here? Yeah, it's uh, I, I share your you know, I guess feelings about that statistic. Um, when that study came out, it was I don't know heartbreaking, not surprising. But uh, heartbreaking that uh, religious involvement would be uh, um, would reduce suicide for everyone except LGBTQ people, and for those LGBTQ people, it increases. It's it's not surprising, but um, but it it happens over and over and over again, and um. It's a matter not necessarily of, you know, this one experience is, you know, just such a terrible experience. And so they just decide that life is not worth living and, and you know, attempt suicide yeah. as a result. That it's not just one experience, uh, though, you know, there are, you know, there are times of, you know, very traumatic experiences, but really it's the buildup over time of experience after experience after experience that just tells you over and over and over again that you are not loved by the people in your life and you are not loved by God. And that message is sent in a multitude of ways over and over and over again and in little ways uh, by friends who stop talking to you mm-hmm. and in big ways by, you know, people calling you the F word. And by, by that, I mean, 
um, F-A-G, right. not F-U-C-K. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> uh, that goes on in the church, you know, people assaulting you, Christians assaulting you, and that, that goes on and is a surprisingly common. Sexual abuse is surprisingly common. It's just this buildup um, again and again and again of experiences that reach a point where you just can't take it anymore Mm -hmm. and you just can't see how your life can go on this way Uh, because if if this is what your life is then you don't want to live it you don't want to live it anymore and it's i so many people have been brought to the brink of suicide as a result of that. And, you know, for every person that has died by suicide, there are 10 more that have attempted. And for every person that has attempted, there are 100 more that have thought about it, seriously thought about it. And so it's, it's just, it's, it's a epidemic. And... Yeah is sadly it's not it's not something that is rare for queer people it is the normative experience for them Um, it is characteristic of what the experience in church is like for Mm -hmm. queer people in the church and it's 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 absolutely tragic well and and the classic scenario of the 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 queer community embracing you, the church rejecting you, the mm-hmm. queer community embracing you, you find, and like they talk about like, fa- they talk about family language. Like if your own family has rejected you, mm-hmm. um, your community that you thought was for life and you know, um, know that, that you had the courage to tell people what you're really going through yeah, <laughs> and then mm-hmm. uh, you're rejected. Um, and then you find outside of the church a community of people who welcome you, who want to have a holiday dinner with you and a turkey dinner, and who want to, uh, uh, you know, just embrace you, <laughs> literally, like to have you be part of their community. It's such a contrast. Like the yeah. thing, uh, the thing that we say church is about is the exact opposite of what they have found. Yeah, and, and I can. No, go finish. Yeah, go sorry. Ahead. No, that's that's it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I would just say I would say that that echoes my own experience. I have found mm-hmm. far more meaningful, genuine, life-giving community uh, in queer communities than I've ever found in the church. Uh, it's unbelievable how uh, close queer people become, how, how much queer people rally around each other, support each other. And to that point within queer Christian communities, I have found more closeness, uh, and around the gospel than I've ever found, um, in churches, uh, more of a, you know, more support for walking with Jesus, um, than I've ever, you know, found within church communities. And, you know, that to me speaks to some problems <laughs> in general in churches, but it also speaks to me of, yeah, you, you mentioned the word family of, you know, being so marginalized, being so pushed aside that queer people, they come together um, as a family because the family 
um, that they have, you know, been told for so long that, you know, ought to be there for them uh, is not. And so uh, there's this concept of chosen family uh, in queer communities that I think really echoes a lot of what we see in scripture of this idea that our family is not necessarily biological, that though that type of family is important, but our family is one that is unified around Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I, I see that echoed in the, in the concept of chosen family in so many queer communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's, it's making me think of this. I assume why you called the book heavy burdens, Matthew 23, uh, this yep. Jesus is woe to religious leaders. Yep. Uh, I'll, I'll just read it here. I'd, I'd love your, I'd love to get your insight on this. Jesus is calling out religious leaders saying they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear and lay them on the shoulders of others, but they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, well, to begin with, that is the verse that inspired the, the title for my book. And yeah, I think that this is kind of the atmosphere in churches is this, this constant need to put burdens on queer people and expectations that so many straight Christians and cisgender Christians would never place upon themselves and aren't really willing to help queer people carry in any way. And, you know, one such example that's kind of the most obvious one is this expectation to either be celibate or to marry the opposite sex, to marry a gender that you're not actually attracted to. And that is a heavy, heavy burden. And it's one that most straight Christians would never, ever put upon themselves. They would never, ever put up with for themselves. And yet it's placed so quickly on queer people without a second thought. And very little is done in churches to create the kind of community that would make something like lifelong celibacy, uh, like lifelong commitment to a spouse that you're not attracted to, possible for queer people. And I say that as someone who is celibate, I say that as someone who is committed to the traditional sexual ethic you know, while supporting my siblings in Christ who, you know, uh, believe in same-sex marriage and get married to the same sex, you know, for me, I am convicted of the traditional sexual ethic, and so I am celibate. Uh, So for me, I, I say that critique not really with any other motives than trying to kind of communicate what heavy expectations these are, what heavy burdens these are, and not much is really done in the church to, to make this easier, to make this feasible. Uh, very, you know, most of the community in, in most churches is centered around families, is centered around couples, and uh, very, very little is ever done to create uh community that is centered around, you know, not family necessarily, but the spiritual family that we have, uh, and placing that first and creating community 
that allows people to flourish even if they don't have a spouse, even if they don't have uh, a nuclear family to, to, you know, anchor them. And I think that's, that's a, a huge, a huge problem. And it's on, honestly, it's only one example. My, my book talks, you know, seven, seven burdens yeah. I go through. And, and even those seven burdens are only seven things that I pull out. I could keep going. Um, but you know, I named those seven cause I think they're a good starting point for a lot of people. Mm. Yeah. I, and I would like to get to some more of these, but what, what struck me about this, uh, I'm a single person and you write about the idea that, and you're speaking now that like, if you, you come out as queer, you, you say, Hey, I'm gay, I'm lesbian, I'm whatever, uh, you know, LGBTQ, you suddenly everyone wants to know um, your sexual history, your, are you celibate right now? You know, and by everyone, maybe not everyone, but um, there's either a subtle curiosity or an outright investigation around mm-hmm. your sexual life. Um, yeah. Whereas I'm a single adult in my 30s, and I would say I am never questioned on that issue. Um, maybe a few times in my whole life have people actually directly asked me about those things. If they're, yeah, I don't know, I'm not like a, a close friend. I mean, like people in sort of a religious authority over me. Um, it's not something that we really talk about, but um, it's just interesting. As a contrast, I'm also a single and celibate adult, um, but because I'm attracted to the opposite gender, I'm not really asked about it. Yeah. Um, And actually, I probably have probably never on this podcast have had to say those words. (laughs) I've never been I've never had to talk about it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But you do. You have to talk about it within the first five Mm -hmm. minutes of us of us meeting each other. You were saying those kinds of things to to us on this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, what you said about how, you know, these things do come up, but they come up with with close friends in the context of like, you know, not like not super heavy conversations where you can just kind of sit back, talk about these things and not feel intimidated uh, with with mm-hmm. close friends or in the context of, you know, groups that you actually seek out, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> right. account- accountability groups, that kind of thing right. that you actually seek out, um, you know, these like, uh, I guess, encounters where people just want to come up to you or send you emails asking you these very invasive questions, people that aren't even close to you. It's not very common for most people. And it's, it's something that happens almost immediately to queer people. Um, almost like assumed that the minute you come out as gay, people have a right to, um, you know, pry into the most personal aspects of your life and speak into it. I, I remember um, there was one time when I I posted something on Facebook for National Coming Out Day. This was a previous year, a past year, not this past year. Um, and I posted something for National Coming Out Day, and a woman sent me a direct message uh, who I have not seen in over a decade. 
and who knows nothing about who I am and yet felt the need to send me a DM long letter, uh, you know, making first assumptions about my sex life and second, demanding information from me about my sex life. And I think people, I think people, you know, assume, well, you made this statement about being gay. So now it's free reign and I can, I can demand whatever information I want. Uh, But, you know, when people come out as, as gay, as queer, as, you know, any, you know, any identity in the LGBTQ spectrum, it's not a statement of sexual activity as much as it is um, a statement of, you know, this is an experience that I have um, and I want to share it with you. I don't want to keep this secret anymore. I can't keep this secret anymore. Uh, And, you know, wanting to uh, come out in order to just kind of, you know, tell people, look, this is part of my life. It's important to me, but it's not an invitation to, you know, start prying. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, for most people that I know, they're not trying to talk about their sexual activity. Um, You know, (laughs) a lot, a lot of, you know, for, for Christians, a, a lot of Christians that are queer, you know, choose celibacy actually. And that's, you know, that's, you know, their, their life path. And so actually their sexual activity has nothing to do with telling people that they're, that they're queer. And so I think that's important for people to realize. You, you're talking a lot about in this idea of the heavy burden and, um, just, uh, you know, how to live as a celibate person. It's, it's made me think a lot about Catholic traditions and as a single person myself I've I've learned a little bit about you know what what nuns and priests do in terms of how they set up these celibate single people in a family and then even actually take care of you to death um, mm-hmm. If you commit your life to the church, you know, the basic idea is that they take care of you. They provide mm-hmm. a home. They provide yeah. a community. There is literally like when you're, when you're retired, there is a place you can go live with other nuns or other, you know, retired priests and have yeah. support, family, financial care, you know, all those things yeah. that you need and often get from a family unit and a spouse um, and it's just, I'm, I bring it up because you you talk about your website as meditations of a traveling nun. Do you identify with yeah. that kind of a lifestyle at all? Maybe you know more about it than I do, but that's my initial research into it. Yeah, yeah. I definitely have found a lot of affinity for uh, just kind of the the Catholic approach to a lot of these questions, just in terms of... Um, the, the rich history that is there. And like you said, this, um, this, I guess, willingness to kind of provide for those communities and create community. Uh, and you know, also just the, the willingness to celebrate that. Whereas Mm. in most Protestant churches, I think that it's seen as this kind of sad, pitiful thing. Oh, you're Mm. celibate, you're single, you know, uh, you know, feel, you know, kind of feel bad for them or see it as like they haven't yet, you know, matured. There's something wrong. Well, there's certainly something wrong with you, right? Yeah. Whereas, <laughs> whereas this thing, you know, there's a rich history within Catholicism of celebrating this and seeing it as, you know, an admirable thing. 
And yeah, I definitely find a lot of affinity for that. And, you know, a lot of desire to see some of that crossover into Protestantism. And yeah, when I created my blog, I named it Meditations of a Traveling Nun. And there was definitely a lot of those feelings, um, feeling as if a lot of my life commitments kind of were echoes of, of that. And uh, the traveling part was, you know, to, I guess, the feeling that this was a journey, this was an ongoing process, and I'm just kind of working through this as I travel this path. And uh, believe it or not, I came up with that name before I had necessarily even realized that I was uh, gay. And, you know, back when I was still very closeted, even to myself. And yet, even during that time, I, you know, as a single person who was never attracted to men ever in my life, was, <laughs> was feeling as if, gosh, this might be my life. And if that's the case, I got to figure out a way to make this work for me. Uh, and so I think that kind of speaks to how, you know, even outside of the queer community, I think a lot of single women um, and even single men find themselves in a place of, you know, really thinking, well, this might be actually a lifelong thing if I don't find anyone. And I think that's important to acknowledge also is just that reality that this isn't just something the queer community needs. This is something the whole church needs. Right. Well, it's this idea, you know, back to that Matthew 23 text about the heavy burden. They put this heavy burden on, on the shoulders but aren't willing to lift a finger themselves. Like, okay, yeah. so for different reasons, if you and I are called in a sexual ethic of, you know, traditional church to be celibate, then, like, how will you help bring fa- how will we How will we be part of family? How will we have care when we're elderly? Um, you know, even some financial support that usually families provide um, yeah. to do with your elder, particularly in the elder years of your life. Uh, yeah. You know, and I, I do think there's a better model, perhaps, nothing mm-hmm. perfect, it's not idealized, yeah. but that maybe there is a better model in the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church, and the Evangelical Church certainly is around this mod, like family, like literally, mm-hmm. whether the organization or not, focus on the family, like it's all about the family unit, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah. of course, more and more adults, um, you know, whatever their orientation, more and more adults are single. Um, or are single longer into adulthood or are choosing not to have children or are unable to have children, you know? And so there's all these ways we live, but yet like there's, there is sort of this idealized way and Jesus himself was a single guy. (laughs) So like there is a way to live a full rich life as a single or a celibate person. Yeah. And I, uh, I think I think of the early church when it comes Mm. to this. And I think the early church, you know, modeled this sense of creating community and supporting people to be committed to God's vision and calling for their life. Like Mm. following Jesus is not a thing that can be done by yourself. And I, you know, the people in Protestant and evangelical churches say that a lot. Like we need 
the church. We need community. But the reality is that not much is actually put in to actually supporting people in that. You know, what that means is basically you have to go to church every Sunday, go to a small group and show up to potlucks every once in a while. And that's not actually what that means. Like that is not supporting people in a community in any kind of way. Um, And, you know, to, uh, you know, what you mentioned about real life things like supporting people financially and providing things like housing and, you know, actual like placing people within communities where, you know, they're living together with other people, like just very practical, kind of obvious things that the early church did for everyone and that are just missing now. This episode is brought to you by The Church Co. If you don't know The Church Co, you have to check them out. I've been talking about them for years because they are literally building people websites for free. Here's how it goes. You sign up, you choose a plan, and then they have a team of web designers build you a website at no additional charge. I don't know anyone else who's doing this, building you a website when you choose a plan. You might already have a website, but honestly, their sites look good, if not better in my opinion than sites that are costing thousands of dollars more. And they have really unique features and things that are thinking about the church. A lot of church websites don't have things like church online or CHMS integrations, digital prayer, small groups, events, sermons, and more. They are building websites thinking about what kinds of things churches will need. But that said, if you just need a website, they will help you build you know, your personal platform website if you're a leader or you're a small business, whatever it may be. The best part though is the price. They do all of this for 29 bucks a month. Right now, they're offering listeners to WordMade Digital 20% off if you use the code digital, as in WordMade Digital. I think it's a no-brainer. So if you want to find out more, there's a link down in the show notes and don't forget to use the code digital to save 20%. of, you know, there's, as you say, there's seven things you name in your book. There's so many more we could talk about, but, but bring to the surface some of these other ideas that you bring up in the book. Um, Tell us a few more of these burdens or the ways that, that LGBTQ Christians are experiencing harm. So we, yeah, we've just talked about this burden of, of, you know, unveiling your sexual history and having to be alone, maybe your whole Mm -hmm. life without any support system or family. What are some other, some other things that are part of Uh, this list for you? Yeah, another another big one is uh, the ways in which so many Christians really pair what it means to be queer with essentially sin. And like, and you hear this often, Christians, when someone comes out, it's like, why would you come out? Like, why would you, uh, Christians will say, why would you pair your Christian identity with your sinful nature? As if what it means to be queer is sin, is to be sinful. And it's like, why? Why do we do that? And I think that just speaks to the ways in which so many Christians have stigmatized what it means to be queer. Um, and basically making it synonymous with sin, we're, we're basically saying that what it means to be this kind of person is it is it means that you are sinful. And 
that is just so harmful to so many people and, you know, create, creates a situation where when many of, many of my friends have come out, I'll see people respond with, um, you can't be gay and Christian. Like it's an oxymoron. And that creates this, you know, sense in which, you know, God doesn't want gay people in the church and it functions to push people away. Like, Oh, I can't be a Christian. Um, well, you know, what's the, what's the conclusion that a lot of people are going to make? They're, they're not going to even try because all of these Christians are saying that actually God doesn't want them in the church. And so it's just, it's so harmful to so many people. And I I think another way, and I, I go into this in the book and talk about it a lot. Um, there's, you know, such a, like, like so much of this conversation is caught up in the culture wars and it's been a very politicized topic and really it's it's used as a as a weapon in politics to to get people to come out for you know to vote for certain people and um, to, uh, you know, be aligned with certain political positions. And it's, it becomes very harmful because people no longer think of this as, you know, a matter of, of loving people. People think of this as, oh, this entire group of people is against the church in fundamental ways that threaten its very existence. And in order to protect the church against these people, I have to vote in a certain way. I have to support certain candidates, support certain platforms. Otherwise, these people are going to take over and, you know, threaten these people. <laughs> yes, these people. And it's extremely harmful. And it's just not true. It's not representative of the the reality um, of what it means to be queer. And, and, you know, most queer people that I know just want to be left alone and just want to live their life and are so often not allowed to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, do you, do you have any, I don't know if you've watched it or chosen not to watch it, pray away the film on Netflix about conversion therapy. I imagine you get asked about it, but I don't know if you want to comment on it. Yeah, I have not watched it yet. It's, it's, on my list of things that I uh, am wanting to watch um, as soon as possible. And um, uh, yeah, I'm excited that that has come out because I think that conversion therapy does not get a lot of attention. And it's a big issue right now because there's um, a lot of the sense that I see among Christians that this is a matter of Christian freedom uh, and, you know, conversion therapy has to be legal, uh, because, uh, you know, people should follow their religious conscious conscience. Um, and so people should be free to choose this therapist should be free to practice this, but, a lot of people don't realize that conversion therapy has been shown to increase the risk of suicide by as much as 500%. Like this is a therapy that, you know, really kills people and that's never talked about. And, you know, it's like when you are supporting this as, you know, a, 
issue of religious liberty, you are basically supporting a form of therapy that um, is it very therapeutic. That, that yeah, that results yeah. in people's death, and you know, just wow, to kind of wow. just to kind of compare it to you know past things that maybe put this in perspective. There are many practices that we no longer do and consider, in fact, abusive today. For example, letting blood or bloodletting. You know, like 300 years ago, people believed that if you attached leeches to your skin and they sucked out your blood, um, that you know, would somehow heal whatever ailment you had. If a doctor did that today, it would be considered medical malpractice. You could sue that doctor uh, for his life. Like, (laughs) that is not okay. And it is not a matter of, uh, you know, um, political freedom to, or, or, you know, it's not a civil right to be able to choose that, you know, like, that's not something that should be on the table to be chosen. (laughs) Um, And it's very like that, that is a practice that actually kills people. And, you know, you put it in those terms and people are like, well, yeah, okay, that, that makes sense. But suddenly when we're talking about a therapeutic practice that kills people, it's not as, it's not as clear to people, but the studies show that this increases the risk of suicide by astronomical amounts. Um, And it just, it really cannot go on (laughs) because it it really is a practice that is killing people. Right. Well, and it's, it's based on a premise that you can, through therapy, uh, not be gay anymore. Uh, That's the basic premise is, well, there is, I mean, the basic idea is there's some, Harm, trauma, broken thing, broken thinking, sinful Mm -hmm. piece of your life that if we could heal that, you know, your father issue or whatever it is, then you Mm -hmm. won't have same sex attraction or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, we have now a lot of data uh, that seems to indicate that's just not how it goes for most people. Yeah. So, so I guess there are, there are some people, I guess, who, um, say they're gay and then later say they're not or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess there are some people that that is true for, uh, but the, but the general trend and the statistics seem to indicate that conversion therapy is not actually changing anyone. <laughs> it's all, no. it's harming, it's harming people. And, and a lot of Christians, it's always ironic to me. And this is one thing that I also talk about in heavy burdens, um, because a lot of Christians don't realize that conversion therapy is based upon Freudian psychology. It's, it's Freudian from start to finish. And, um, it's, oh, it's so ironic because, uh, the way I was taught in my evangelical church, Freudian psychology was evil. It was right. part of the whole problem um, with the ways in which um, our culture is sex saturated and obsessed with sexuality and all the bad things. And yet, <laughs> conversion therapy is Freudian. If it wasn't for Freud, conversion therapy would not exist. And you actually read the major Mm -hmm. leaders of it. 
they base all of their methods on what Freud had to say about homosexuality and about sexuality in general. Um, and people don't realize that. But from start to finish, it's Freudian. Yeah. I mean, when you say it, that makes sense. I'm now connecting those dots in my head from my, you know, basic university studies of Freud. I don't have an expertise in it. But um, I, the, the place I want to get to before we, before we end our conversation, mm-hmm. uh, there's, I mean, this is, this is a, a conversation that can't solve all these issues. I'm sure some people listening are co- wrestling with some new ideas just in general. But I want to touch on the idea of the digital world and how it's affected this conversation. Mm-hmm. Meaning, um, you like for example, you're finding community online of people to to talk. When you didn't find people in your own church community, you yeah. were able to find people online. I'm thinking about yeah. like we're just talking about a Netflix film, like a streaming video that's accessible to the world that kind of brings this conversation and concern about conversion therapy to the surface. There's these digital tools, resources, education. There's um, the spin out of control of I don't know various you know, conspiracy theories of all kinds. But mm-hmm. um, just broadly, what do you think the digital world has done or for positive or for negative to the conversation? Do you think it's helping people feel more open, um, mm-hmm. more paranoid? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%, I think it's been a positive thing. I think that it's connected queer Christians to each other in a way that we've never been connected. And I think, you know, in the past, there was really not many ways to connect. If you stayed in the church, it was a lonely road and it was hard to find anyone who was like you because, you know, most churches are made up of, you know, straight people's, uh, just straight people and families, um, heterosexual nuclear families. And so it's, extremely hard to find community when that when you don't have the internet when you don't have social media to connect people um, and so you know the the ways in which this conversation has benefited are just astronomical and I think you know people go online and they see uh, you know a lot of I guess I guess, homophobic people who are spouting a lot of toxic thinking or attacking gay people for XYZ. And my thoughts are that has been going on forever. Um, That has been the norm forever, but now it's finally out there. Now people can finally see it and see what people say to LGBTQ people on full display. And in the process of that, um, queer people are connecting with each other or finding each other and becoming friends and joining online communities and, you know, building these networks. And I really, you know, believe that my book, Heavy Burdens, wouldn't be possible apart from the online communities that exist and the conversations that have been happening there. Uh, the side B community largely developed out of an online forum (laughs) Um, and conversations on there that happened that ultimately led to um, the the creation of this, you know, community of people that are, you know, 
are centered around Jesus and centered around the gospel and want to support each other. And, you know, similarly with, um, when I say side B, I should define that side B being um, queer Christians that follow the traditional sexual ethic. And similar to that, for queer Christians that follow the, um, I guess, affirming um, sexual ethic, affirming same-sex marriage, um, similar, you know, that conversation has developed so much and become possible because of online communities, because of, you know, forums in the early 2000s, and then Facebook, and then Twitter, and Instagram, and, you know, now TikTok, and Discord, and all these places. Wow. It's fostering this conversation and connecting people um, in ways that just would have never been possible otherwise. Yeah, I mean, it has changed, and I think that's too, for, you know, why on this podcast we're always talking about it, because it has changed how church works, how theological mm -hmm. thought is happening, how people are talking and thinking about their faith, finding their community, finding a church community or a Christian mm -hmm. community. Um, you know, and... and um, you know, we keep sort of <laughs> uh, asking the question here because it affects every part of it. We talk about digital is, is yeah. the water we're swimming in. So it's mm -hmm. affecting every part of our life. Um, yeah. And one more just thought on that is, you know, I think a big thing is people are watching this conversation now and mm -hmm. um, people are being exposed to it in a way that they wouldn't have been exposed otherwise. Um, like, you know, they never would have, you know, seen the arguments being put out there um, and being made and discussed and talked about because in the past, those types of things happened behind closed doors. They didn't happen in a way that was accessible to a lot of people. Yeah. Now it's happening publicly. Now people you know, see it happening everywhere on their social media feeds, when they go on Twitter, when they, you know, go on, you know, this other social media. And um, because of that, now people are asking questions. I'm sorry, that was my dog. Um, now people okay. are asking, yeah. <laughs> now people are asking questions and wanting to know more. And so, you know, it's changing a lot of a lot of things that would not have changed otherwise. And so, uh, yeah, 100% it's been 100% truly transformative. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, Bridget, if people want to find you, they want to find your book, um, you've referenced some other things, uh, some of like, you know, other resources or, or communities. Where do you want to send people today to find all of this stuff? Um, uh, yeah. So, uh, my book is available, um, wherever books are sold, you know, go to your favorite publisher, uh, you know, just search heavy burdens by Bridget Eileen Rivera and you'll find it. And, um, you know, my website is Bridget Eileen You can access it there and find, you know, all of my stuff there. And, um, my social media handle is traveling nun, and so you can follow me um, on you know social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, all of those different places. And so, um, feel free to follow me on social media. We can connect that way, and um, you know, feel free awesome. to search. Feel free to search for my book on uh, any website, and go ahead and give it a purchase. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Bridget, thank you so much. It's a conversation that, um, you know, to be continued people, we need to keep having these conversations. 
uh, it's important. So I'm grateful for you, you know, giving some time to us today here at WordMate Digital. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate Eileen Rivera. Thank you so much for this conversation. I think it stirred up some new questions in me. Uh, I love to learn and I hope you do too. I hope that's why you're listening to this podcast um, in order to grow and to be challenged and to say, I've never thought about it that way before. Let me consider a new perspective. So that is what it's all about. And hey, next week, we're talking to another person with some fresh perspective, Steve Pemberton. He has this amazing story of going from foster kid to CEO. And you're going to love what he has to say about mentorship and generational impact, how we can be a lighthouse to other people and how we have had lighthouses in other people in our lives. So thank you so much to our sponsors, Compassion Canada and the church cohort making this whole season possible. I would love you to check them out in the show notes. You can click on those links. You can also find us on YouTube. If you want to check out this whole back catalog of podcasts, tutorials, all kinds of resources we have for you for free to help you, to resource you, to encourage you, we'd love for you to do that. And also, if you want to talk more about all these things, go to the Digital Church Facebook group. You can find it at the link below or just go on your Facebook app and type in Digital Church and you'll find us as a Facebook group. All right, we'll see you next week with Steve Pemberton. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Rate it and share this episode with your friends. Head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators. We love helping you communicate the best news in the world. 